Well, again, Acts chapter 20 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, This morning, we're continuing our study through the book of Acts, and we've kind of sidetracked slightly in there as well. It's like, okay, we've been looking at Paul's message to the Ephesian elders. In some ways, it's been like, what's God speaking to your elder here and me? And, and, And part of that is like a message from uh, your elder to you. And uh, those are good things, though, because, you know, there's ways that God's wanting to uh, just speak in this specific moment of time in the life of our church and what's going on with us that, that I firmly believe that God has, you know, specific things at specific points in time. And so we are trekking through Acts chapter 20 and plan to get back into our normal rhythm through uh, verses 17 and through 38. But uh, in part six, we're going to begin our time in Acts 20, verse 28. We're going to jump into a a few other portions of scripture throughout our study, but let's start by reading Acts 20, verse 28, as Paul's speaking to the Ephesian elders who met him in the, the city of Miletus. He says to them, Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. We've seen some of the implications of this verse the last two weeks, along with what Peter shared in 1 Peter chapter 5, as he wrote his exhortation to elders, overseers, shepherds. But we've also seen some of the implications of this verse for all of us as Jesus' church, his flock. And I want us to linger in that realm of what the Lord wants us to hear right now as his flock, as his church, before we move on and resume studying what Paul says here in chapter 20 of Acts to the Ephesian elders in the following verses. But along with those descriptions that we just read of my role as a leader in Jesus' church, I'm also a a fellow worker who God has called to plant and water in God's field and who God has called to build in his building project. And that field and building are each of you and all of us corporately as Jesus's church. Check out what Paul told the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 5 through 13. Paul writing there, he said, who then is Paul and who is Apollos, the ministers through through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder. So, you know, the Lego movie wasn't original in the master builder title. No one's seen Lego movie? Anyways, Lego Batman. My favorite colors are also the same as Lego Batman's favorite colors, black and very, very dark gray. Anyways, moving on. 
According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay that than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. See, planting and watering and building, the the pictures of Jesus' people being a field needing to be cultivated and a building project needing to be built wisely with the right foundation and with the right materials all speak volumes of of how the Lord views us as his church individually and corporately and his desire to see continual growth produced in his church, you and me. You and I think about a, a field being cultivated when we, if you've ever driven past farmland and it's in the season where, you know, it's just the dirt we drive past it and we're just like, what is going on? Like this is, this is so much land that there's nothing happening. And then maybe you drive by it a couple months later and all of a sudden there's all this growth that's happened. It doesn't stay in that state of being, you know, just kind of lacking fruitfulness. It, there's, there's a season, there's been, there's been work, there's been labor that's happened in the field to cultivate it, to, to, to dig up the hard clods and to make it ready so that it produces. And that's a continual thing that has to happen. And in the same way, God doesn't go, you guys are the building and it's all done. This building is written in a way in the Greek where it's, it's not a building that's finished, it's a building that's in progress. You and I are be, being built as First Peter, Paul says in First, uh, sorry, Paul, Paul says in First Peter, Paul hijacked First Peter, no. As Peter says in First Peter, that we're living stones being built into a, a spiritual house. You and I are those pieces. God's building something with us. He cares about the growth. He wants to see us growing and and things changing and us flourishing in him because that's part of how our testimony happens to the world around us. As I've shared the last two weeks, the Lord's been stirring me personally, wanting to bring change and growth in my own life, wanting to break me out of, as I shared last week, the the survival sort of mode of ministry I've been in the past two years so that I'm not surviving, but I'm thriving and how I believe he's wanting to cause all of you to thrive and us as a church to thrive, how he wants to bring revival to each of us individually and our church corporately, how he's wanting to bring greater spiritual health to our body and wanting to raise up more leaders and and not wanting us to be dried out and hardened and crusty and inflexible and unyielded wineskins, but wineskins that have been refreshed, made like new, 
so that he can pour into us and upon us and do with us and through us those things he's wanting to do by his spirit. When it comes to us, when we get, when we become those sort of wineskins that become dry and crusty, the Lord doesn't go, well, I'm tossing you out so I can start over again. You know, most people didn't have the money to just toss a, wi- a wineskin. If it got to the point where it couldn't expand, it couldn't handle the new wine, they would take it and they would soak it. They put it out in the sun. They'd massage oil into the skin so that it would become flexible and yielded once again. And there's so many spiritual pictures for us in what that looks like to be made a a refreshed wineskin in the hand of God. And I've shared those things from a place of vulnerability and transparency because I believe this is part of me taking heed, paying attention to myself and to all the flock, to you guys, and and part of me being an overseer and shepherd that's been appointed by the Spirit to, to lead this church, that in order to lead well, I've got to share where the Lord's challenging me, but also where I believe the Lord is wanting to encourage and challenge and, and bring greater growth and flourishing and fruitfulness in all of you. I've been talking about how God is wanting to do something fresh and new and in us and with us and through us, but I think part of us being able to step into what God is wanting to bring us into actually requires us being reminded of some things that he's spoken to us in the past as a church that he wants to use in us now in the present and as we move forward from here into the future. God's word is full of reminders, and I know for me, I need those reminders constantly. One of those reminders is of something that the Lord was actually speaking into my life later this past year and I don't know that I was fully even ready to embrace what that was at the time. I'd shared in September of last year about how God had put this passage from 2 Kings 19 on my heart. Really believed it was for some it was something for us as a church. The Lord kept it sort of stuck in the front of my mind. I want to remind us of that passage this morning, 2 Kings 19, verses 29 through 31. It says there, This shall be a sign to you. You shall eat this year such as grows of itself, and in the second year what springs from the same. Also in the third year, sow and reap, plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. And the remnant who have escaped of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant, and those who escape from Mount Zion, the zeal of the Lord of hosts, will do this. This passage of Scripture was a a follow-up to something the Lord had spoken to me four years ago, actually, in a different passage he gave me for us as a church. And I, I believe... This was a reminder that what he spoke to me for our church those years ago, he was re-emphasizing to us that he was wanting to do this once again with us, and I believe he's wanting us to be reminded of those things today. 
In that passage of 2 Kings, there was this remnant. And when I looked up the word remnant, that word remnant speaks of a, a small surviving group. They were surviving because the king of Assyria had taken about 200,000 people captive from the kingdom of Judah before that time. And as they were still facing great difficulty, God had preserved a remnant, again, this small surviving group. And I saw a picture for us in that of what the Lord's done here over the last couple years, that we have a, a smaller surviving group. We're still going. The enemy in that passage of Second Kings had prevented those in Jerusalem from being able to plant their crops, their vineyards, outside of the city and God in that passage was encouraging them to eat what was produced in the land which was also God's way of promising that he was going to you know take care of them that what grew the first and second year would provide for their needs until they would be able to sow the ground and reap on the third year they were going to have to trust in the Lord they were going to have to take the Lord at his word that he was going to provide for them and sustain them in the time where the normalcy of their sowing and reaping was interrupted and hindered. But just as God was going to cause the crops to keep producing on their own without outside help, he was going to do the same with the remnant there in Judah. He was promising that they would once again take root downward and bear fruit upward, that the zeal of the Lord of hosts would do this. The remnant of Judah would once again flourish. Their lives were being pictured by the Lord as a, as a plant or a tree taking root downward and bearing fruit upward. And while this was a specific promise that had a near fulfillment for the remnant of the people of Judah at that time, I believed back in August, September, and still believe today that there's a spiritual principle and application for us as a remnant, a small surviving group, or we might flip that just a little bit and say a small group that's been surviving in what God's desiring to do in us and what we see in verse 30. God wants our roots to go down deep into him and then wants us to bear fruit upward, a thriving that would take place where we're planted so that fruitfulness abounds. And as we've gone through this survival mode in our church for almost two full years now since March of 2020, I'm hopeful and prayerful that the sowing and reaping the Lord will have us do in this third year, which we're entering into next month, which is weird to say, three years, that that will bring about a new and fruitful season in us, our church, that God will get all the glory for. But as I said, this passage of scripture was really a follow-up to something the Lord spoke to me four years ago in a different passage, and it kind of comes up for me over time. I'll be reminded of it by the Lord. But I think he's done that because he wants to do that with us. That reminder is there because he wants that to be true for us. And that other passage the Lord gave me four years ago that he's wanting us to take heart along with that passage of 2 Kings 19 
is found in Psalm chapter 92. And I believe these things are connected, that God's wanting us to hear these things again because he's wanting us to take, he's wanting to take us out of that place of surviving into a place of thriving spiritually in Jesus individually and corporately as Jesus's flock. I was reminded this week of how Jesus said that he came to give us life and that more abundantly. But that I wondered about my own life and I wondered about us as a church if that abundant life is visible or if it's, if it's actual, if it's the reality for us. Are we just living or is there that super abundance that Jesus has actually said, no, this is what I've provided for you by my spirit. An abundant life, a spirit-filled life, a life of victory and joy and an excitement for the Lord. And if those things, if someone were to visit, you know, would, would we be like one of the churches of Revelation where it says that you have a name that you're alive, but you're actually dead? Can you imagine being the church that gets that letter? You know, maybe the name of their, you know, maybe they name themselves like, you know, new, real life or, you know, hopeful life or there's some sort of like, we've got the life, like Jesus has given us life. And he's like, that's great that you, that's how you call yourselves, but you're, you're dead. It's like, well, thanks, Jesus. Feeling real, real good about that. <laughs> No, but why, is he, why would he say something like, because he wants them to, he doesn't want the name to not match reality. He wants them to, to really be living in that newness of life, that resurrection power that Jesus has provided for us. And I, I think about that for us, what would show forth that you and me, that us as a church are really thriving in Jesus. And I think part of this and what we've been looking at even over the last two studies is part of the Lord wanting to bring us into that place. And so check out what we're told in Psalm 92, verses 13 and 14. The psalmist there says, Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. Depending on when this psalm was written, this phrase, house of the Lord, was either a reference to the tabernacle or the temple. And this is significant because this was a place where only the priests could enter and was where the presence and glory of God dwelt behind the curtain in the most holy place. And this is really cool because our, our freshness spiritually, our spiritual health and vigor is directly connected to our being planted, being rooted in the house of the Lord, that place that is closest to the presence and glory of God, that place that is closest to the, to the heart of our God. And in New Testament theology, this is what happens when you and I abide in Jesus Christ. 
See, when it comes to the Lord's desire to make us thrive spiritually, where we're planted is crucial. Jesus wants us to be planted in him and to stay as close to him as possible. We see this in what Jesus said in John 15, verses 4 and 5. Jesus there said, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. You abides in me, and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Guys, we can connect ourselves and put our roots down into so many different things, but there's only one true vine, only one life-giving vine, only one source that will cause you and me and our church to thrive, and that's Jesus. The thriving isn't going to come because, you know what, we've picked up the newest fad in Christendom. We're thriving now because we've done this 40 days of this and this 100 days of that, and we've, you know, seemed to work over there. I think we're going to really thrive now, guys, if we just can get on board with this new thing and this new book and this new teaching series it's like no it's that doesn't cause us to really thrive it's just jesus himself and i think about those who would have read this psalm back in the day at the time when i mean for the great majority of people unless they were born of the line of levi they were never going to be entering into the tabernacle or the temple ever they weren't getting any further than the altar of sacrifice they could look on and see these people who man like whoa they're the spiritual ones they're the ones doing the sacrifices they're the ones that are getting washed in the 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 bronze labor they're the ones that get to go into the Inside the temple or the tabernacle, they're the ones that are keep taking care of the, the golden lampstand and they're taking care of the table of showbread and they're the ones taking care of the altar of incense. Like, man, what a sweet thing. Like, those people, those people are the ones that are closest to the Lord. That could be their, that's probably their perspective. And yet the psalmist is saying that for you and me, the spiritual reality for our lives is that we can actually be planted in the place that we think that other people have a right to that we really don't. In Jesus, we've been given access. We don't need a high priest anymore because that's Jesus. He's that, he's that person for you and me. There's no veil keeping us out because the veil of his flesh was torn on the cross. So this whole thought of us being planted in the place that could be closest to the glory of God, the presence of God, is not something that for you and me we should be going, well, that's someone else. That could be the reality for someone else. Someone else can really thrive in that sort of way. No, he's going, that's, that's, that's you. That's me. 
Jesus comes on in the scene. He says, abide in me. Be rooted in me. Be connected to me. And you'll bear fruit. You'll glorify the Father. Because without him, we can do nothing. That's not to be a hopeless sort of perspective like, well, I can't do anything. No, but with Jesus, we can do everything. So for us, the goal is just stay close to Jesus. <laughs> stay abiding in Jesus. Keep our eyes on Jesus. To not buy into what the world says you need to be connected to, to really, really thrive, or your life will really be fulfilled. But that psalm also goes on to say, verses 12 through 14 of Psalm 92, the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. That freshness should lead to a state of flourishing. This is where the roots go down into the soil and where upward and outward growth takes place. And this is true of us spiritually as well. Guys, a palm tree is able to flourish in environments where you would think flourishing would be impossible, like Lake Elsinore. <laughs> palm desert. Like, wow, can it get any hotter? Can this be more the armpit of Southern California? I can say that because I lived there for a long time. It's a, there's an there's a endearment there. I'm not really bagging on it. Um, but it can flourish where you would think that it w shouldn't be able to, like in a desert sort of climate. The same with us. God's able to cause us to flourish even if we find ourselves in undesirable environments, desert sorts of seasons, seasons of difficulty, and trial, and suffering, and tragedy, and even loss. But not only is God able to cause us to flourish like a palm tree, he's also able to cause us to grow strong and tall like a cedar in Lebanon. And I love that the psalmist used that specific tree. I mean, he could have said oak. Could have, could have used a lot of really strong... Like, you're going to be like the, you know, sequoia of California. Grow strong and tall. They didn't know about California, but. That cedar of Lebanon, when Solomon was commissioning the king of Tyre to provide lumber so that they could build the temple. A lot of this stuff was overlaid with gold. We see, you know, and then there, this was covered with gold, and that was covered with gold. It's like Oprah's gifting day, like once a year, like, and you get a car, and you get, like, 
Like, and you're going to be covered in gold, and that's going to be gold. It's like the whole thing. That's why when the Babylonians, you know, when, uh, when the Babylonians came and the, the temple was dismantled, they wanted all the gold that covered all the, everything that constructed it. You know, they wanted to strip all of that. Uh, but, I'm sorry, not, not Babylonia. Babylonia. I'm, I'm talking about Titus, when Titus later in about 70 AD came in and uh, besieged Jerusalem. Anyways, but these cedar of, cedars of Lebanon, these were, the, these were all the structural pieces of the temple. These were the beams. These were the things that were going to keep the temple structurally sound and upright and strong. It was these cedars of Lebanon. And I just love it that that's the tree that was used here as an example of what God wants to do with you and me. Because in his house, the church of God, you and I are those structural pieces. You are the people that he wants to put in place so that his church is strong and it's it's, it's structurally sound and it, it survives any storm and it's, it's there to be a beacon of hope and it's a, a light in a city set on a hill like we're the cedars of Lebanon for a reason. That's to be you and me. That's what God wants to do with you and me in his house, his church. And not only flourishing and growing but also bearing fruit in old age, no one says amen. Why? There's certain things that there should always be an amen to. I'm not that old. I'm 43, but, you know, as I've gotten older, I, you know, my body feels it. Go to the chiropractor, and this guy's working on me, and telling him how I have this pain in my shoulder, and he's like, cool. And he just starts scraping my muscles and he's like you feel that that's a bunch of scar tissue that's been building up over the years like i'm not getting more flexible over time like i'm i'm becoming more decrepit and like i think about things more like can my back handle that is my shoulder gonna hurt after i do that I don't feel super fruitful in a physical sense, but I'm thankful that God doesn't use the picture of our body here. Just like your body ages, you're going to be fruitful like that. We'd be like, that's not a good picture. I'm not, that's, I feel worse as I get older. No, he uses a tree because he's looking, he's going, look, like, this thing, just like this tree, as it, as it continues to age, can continue to, to be fresh. Its leaves are green. It's still receiving all the nourishment from the soil. It's still sprouting up. New things are happening, and fruit is coming off onto the, onto the limbs of the branches. That's going to be you. That can be you spiritually as you age. You take that how you want, age physical-wise or age spiritual-wise. Either one, both. God wants to make us fruitful even into old age. There's never going to be a point where you and I should resign ourselves to not being a fruitful person for Jesus. Ever. 
I don't see an excuse for that here. There's not a pardon. And it has nothing to do even with your physical abilities. God can use you if you have no limbs. God can use you if you lose your voice. He can use you if you lose your eyesight. He can use you if you lose your hearing. If you have breath in your lungs, if you have a beat in your heart, there is a fruitfulness that God is able to produce in your life. Notice in verse 13, it says, those planted, those rooted in the house of the Lord, shall flourish in the courts of our God. This is significant just like the house of the Lord was significant because this courts of our God was speaking of the area directly outside either the tabernacle or the, t- the temple, again, depending on when this was written. And this was the place of sacrifice and service. See, our flourishing spiritually is to take place in the courts of our God. That place where the priests and the Levites would serve the rest of God's people as they came to worship, which is a result of us first being planted in the house of the Lord, abiding in Christ. There's always to be some sort of outflow from our lives. We're not just planted in the house of the Lord so we just stay there. Oh man, I'm just enjoying being planted here. I don't want to have to go into the court. I don't want to have to deal with the people. I mean, why were people coming to make their sacrifice the majority of the time? There were exceptions. You know why they were bringing their sacrifices? Because they sinned. They violated God's law. There was there's some sort of impurity. There's a defilement that had happened. And so now they're coming to bring this animal sacrifice to, to get atonement for their sin, their wrongdoing. The Levites had to interact in that sort of environment day after day. And yet God provided that to be the situation because he wanted to, to take care of that sin problem. God forbid that we would, we would ever hang back and hold on to those things because we feel like, gosh, I've sinned so much. How can God continue to forgive me? I've not been able to find victory, so I can't continue to come to him. Jesus hanging upon the cross speaks a, a, a greater story to you and to me that, that nothing we could ever do should keep us back from the foot of the cross. Because Jesus shed his blood, he gave his life, knowing that you and I would not get it right. We would blow it, we'd sin, and even willfully sin against him at times. And yet he died for us anyway. And now you and me as the people of God who've been planted in the house of the Lord, we get, to, we get an opportunity to flourish in the courts of our God. We get to be where all the other sinners are at so we can serve others in the love of Jesus Christ and by the power of his spirit. You know, God has gifted each of us individually to be able to be in the courts of our God Not every Levite had the same job. 
You might be the dude that's like holding the lamb shank. You might be the lady that's washing something in the water. You might be the person that's taking care of the, the bread, trimming the lamps, refilling the oil. But you might be right there helping people, meeting the needs of people practically, getting your hands on that sacrificial sort of animal, getting your hands dirty, so to speak. And every bit of it is necessary in order for the church of God to thrive as he's intended it to. That's you and me. We have a part to play, a role to fulfill. That place of flourishing in the courts of our God is where true spirit-filled ministry takes place. God wants to use each of us to minister, to serve one another here in his church and believers outside of our church fellowship to bless and be a blessing so that others thrive in their own walks with Jesus too. The psalmist goes on to say, though, in verses 14 and 15 of Psalm 92, they shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. Notice to declare the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Lord wants us to continually be fruitful even into old age, that the, the produce of our lives, what comes out of our lives, would be a constant declaration of the greatness of Jesus and would continually point people to our rock, Jesus Christ, the foundation that our lives and this church are built upon. This kind of fruitfulness is the, is the potential for every believer who's planted in the house of the Lord, continually taking root downward and then bearing fruit upward in the courts of our God, serving the body of Christ and ministering to those that God places in our lives, whether believer or unbeliever. Guys, understand when we look at the picture of a, a fruit tree, the fruitfulness of the tree isn't for the benefit of the tree. The freshness and the flourishing is. But the freshness and flourishing and fruitfulness of the tree and, and our lives in that spiritual picture are all of benefit to those around us. When I'm around a fruitful believer, like it refreshes me, it blesses me. I've, I've partaken of the fruit that's come from someone else's life. And it's, it's, it's brought me spiritual sustenance at times. It's, it's given me a, 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 a needed sort of jolt of, of strength or joy or encouragement or comfort because of what God's done in someone else's life who's been planted in the house of the Lord and been flourishing in the courts of our God, just being around that person, their fruitfulness is, is for our benefit. Our fruitfulness, which glorifies the Lord, is something God wants to use to bless, bless, bless. Guys, be blessed. <laughs> <laughs> 
to bless and refresh and be a witness to those around us who are on the receiving end of the fruitfulness that God produces in your and my life. And that fruitfulness isn't just for the purpose of blessing other believers. Our fruitfulness, what comes out of our lives, what God produces in and through our lives will be accompanied by the fruit of God's spirit, the agape love of God. And that fruit of love not only blesses other believers, it's a powerful witness in pointing unbelievers, lost people to Jesus Christ as they see his love at work in our lives, as we love them with his agape love and as they hear us share about the great love that Jesus has for them and how he wants to save and forgive them. And when it comes to God's desire of wanting to cause us to thrive in Jesus, submitting to the work of our master gardener, the vine dresser, our father, is is crucial. Jesus said this in John 15, verses 1 and 2. He said, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. I think for a lot of people, they've felt like these past year, two years have been a, a massive time of pruning in so many different ways. Things have changed. No, no one else says, no one else thinks that? Things have changed. They're not the same as they were. And, you know, we can maybe even say, like, okay, well, you know, the enemy, there was some, you know, the enemy wants to, to do something, and he wants to divide and distract, and he wants to, you know, drive people away from the Lord, and, and all those things are true, too. But what if God also has a purpose in some of those things to prune in such a way that as we move forward, we're not just going, well, let's just, we have to replicate everything that we did three years ago, but really be seeking the Lord and saying, God, what are you wanting to do now? If that thing's been pruned back, that thing's no longer there, things are different, then God, I have to trust that you're going to move in the different. You're going to move in the new. That you have new things planned. You ever looked at God's pruning in your life and just thought like, God, I don't know what you're doing? Or maybe just thought, you know what, God, I don't like what you're doing. I don't like how you're pruning me. But pruning is necessary in order for health and growth and maximal, maximum fruitfulness to take place and Though it can be painful at times when the Lord is pruning, know that he has our good and his eternal glory and purposes in mind as he's doing it. That ultimately he's wanting to grow us and make us more and more like Jesus. If that pruning doesn't happen, you and I will stay like us kind of helps puts it into perspective right if he doesn't prune away the things that don't belong if he doesn't prune away the things that are of me that are of my flesh that are of the world what of me really shows forth jesus 
It's like Jesus plus me or me plus Jesus. No, he wants the life, the grace, and the love, and the truth of Jesus to shine forth from our lives. And that pruning helps strip away all that stuff that's not of the Lord. And if there's been some of that in the church to any degree, then I'm going to praise God for it. Because I want Jesus to be seen in our church to the greatest degree possible. And in my life and in your life. Guys, God doesn't need to change our circumstances to make us thrive spiritually. No, he wants to make us thrive in the midst even of our current circumstances and situations and the things that are going on around us or are happening to us as the flock of God as his church as his bride as his field as his building in this season no matter what comes our way he wants our roots to go down deep he wants us to bear fruit upward he wants us planted in the house of the Lord he wants us flourishing in the courts of our God he wants us bearing fruit even into old age, and he wants us declaring who Jesus is to a lost and broken world through both our actions and our words. I believe there's a lot for us to meditate on and pray through and seek to apply from our time in God's word today. And, and I, I pray too that for those of you who are, you know, even as we looked at last week, as I shared some of where I've been at, that those areas where there's, there, there's not that thriving happening. You're just existing. You're just making it. Or maybe you're not seeing the kind of fruit that you think should be happening or that you believe God wants to do in your life. Guys, let these things be a reminder to you that God's able to meet us where we're at. He knows how to get down into the soil of our hearts. He knows how to break up the clods. He knows how to remove the, the stumps and the weeds and all the stuff that could cause us to not be fruitful. And he can bring us out of places of stagnation. He can bring us out of places of struggle and failure. He can bring us out of places of hopeless, hopelessness and discouragement into a place where you and I can go, wow, Lord, you are causing me to thrive. You're causing me to be fresh and to be flourishing and to be fruitful. Lord, you're making the roots of my spiritual life go down deep and, and you're making my life bear fruit upward. Guys, I believe us as a small surviving group, a group that's been surviving, I think God wants to make us thrive even in this season. And I, I, I hope and pray that you guys will, will pray in that direction as well, that God would do that with us even now. We're going to take communion together, as I said this morning.
you have your communion elements. Mine's stuck to my glove. We're good. Now the worship team come back up. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 26. Paul writing to the church in Corinth, he says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. We take of the Lord's Supper these communion elements. First, because Jesus said that we're supposed to. But secondly, because when we do that, there's a communion there's a fellowship that happens between us and the Lord as we remember. Remember as we think about, as we meditate on, that Jesus, he gave his body for you and for me, his spotless, perfect life for you and for me. And then he shed his pure and spotless and atoning sacrificial blood upon the cross, becoming our propitiation, our wrath bearer, taking our place, taking our guilt, taking our shame, taking all of our sin for all of history so that you and I, as his people, could take these things in remembrance of him. But look, before we do that, if that's, you know, if you this morning and maybe those things are, are a bit foreign to you, you don't have first just a personal saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Know this morning that the Lord wants to do a new, fresh work in your life, not some sort of a reformation of you, making you a better person, a better version of you, but actually making you a new creation in Christ Jesus, taking you from a place of being dead in your sin to being alive in Jesus. New life because Jesus shed his life shed his blood to bring redemption, to bring salvation, to bring forgiveness. And if that's anybody here this morning and you first just need that personal saving relationship with Jesus, would you stand where you're at if that's anyone this morning? Maybe this morning things have just gotten off track for you. And you're not wanting to take communion in an unworthy manner, as Paul would go on to talk about in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians. Maybe for you this morning, there's a, a bit of recommitment that's necessary. If that's anybody this morning, would you stand where you're at so I could pray for you? If that's anyone at all, awesome. Anybody else? 
the Lord's maybe speaking to you this morning, that there's some change, there's some things that he's wanting to do with you. Awesome. Let, let me pray for you, brother. Lord, I, I pray for this, this brother here. Lord, God, would you meet him where, we're, where he's at? Lord, as he stood, God, wanting to just recommit his life afresh to you. Lord, God, would you, Lord, meet with him? And I just encourage you in your own heart, just confess those things to the Lord, those areas of sin. Repent from those things this morning. Once again, turn to Jesus. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Lord, would you do that with my brother here today as he stood? Lord, would you forgive him? And would you cleanse him, God? And would you make right those things that are broken? God, would you restore the joy of his salvation this morning, God? Would you pour out your spirit upon him? Give him victory. Lord, give him strength to live for you. Lord, that he would abide in you, Jesus, each and every day. God, would you move in his life? And God, from this point on, Lord, would he just, God, by your grace, Remain planted in the house of the Lord. And God, as we take these communion elements now, Lord, we thank you for your body, Jesus, that was broken for us, your blood that was shed. Lord Jesus, we do these things in remembrance of you this morning. Just so thankful for what you've done for us. Lord, so thankful that you want us to thrive. Lord, you want us to be fresh and flourishing and fruitful. Lord, you've allowed us to be planted in the house of the Lord. You've made us those cedars of Lebanon that are those structural pieces of your house. Lord, you want us to flourish in the courts of our God, serving you, Lord, in your strength and the power of your spirit. God, would you lead us in these days and will we be those, Lord, who declare that you, God, are upright. You're our rock. And there is no unrighteousness in you. Lord, would our lives be a testimony to the lost world around us that Jesus is real. And that Jesus, you want to save them. Jesus, we partake of these things now in your name. Go ahead and take the bread and the juice this morning. And Lord, as we have this opportunity to respond to your word in these songs of praise, Lord, would we declare even now, Lord, who you are. Lord, as people who have been set free, who are free indeed, Lord, those who you came to give life to in that more abundantly, Lord, would we truly live in that place of that abundant life, Lord, not just living, but life abundantly, a life of victory, Lord, a life surrendered to you, a Lord, a life that's filled with and led by your spirit. God, would you do that with us even now, Lord, would we sing from that, that place, Lord, 
You are worthy, Jesus. We praise you. We pray this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.